0: This isn't working, like I just need to cut ties. And it would be that next week where we'd have some big break where we'd do ten, twelve thousand in sales, and I'd be like, oh yeah, no, now we're doing it. Money, 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 money. No matter how hard you try, there's gonna be things that go wrong. And if you only have that business to depend on for your happiness, it just doesn't work out. I don't watch daytime television. Does anybody watch daytime television anymore? Turns out a lot of people still watch the Today Show. And we were supposed to be on in the 9 to 10 o'clock hour, 9.55 rolls around, nothing's happened. So we get a phone call and I'm sitting there on my computer and there's like four people on our website and I'm like really starting to sweat. And this lady's like, hey, I just saw your fillets on today's show. Can I order them over the phone? And so I hit the refresh button on the website and we went from like four people to like 4,000 people. And I was like, holy crap. My name Patrick Montgomery. I'm the owner of KC Cattle Company based in Weston, Missouri. I am 29 years old. We are a Wagyu beef distributor via mail order on the website, kccattlecompany.com. We ship to all 50 states. We are in our second year sales and expanding rapidly. What's Wagyu beef? Wagyu beef it actually means black cow in Japanese. If you've heard of Kobe beef, what I always tell people is all Kobe is Wagyu, but not all Wagyu is Kobe. The thing that makes it so special is the intramuscular fat, also known as marbling. It's what you pay a premium price for at the grocery store when you buy a prime steak. So about 95% of our Wagyu grades out prime or better. So are you a vegetarian? Absolutely not. It's bad for business. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm getting hungry just looking at your website here with all the beef there. It seems like a lot's sold out. So I guess that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. I was kind of emailing you a little bit about that. We've had some recent growth headaches, if you will. All I can say is the internet's a crazy place. We hired a PR firm back in the fall there, and I'd kind of told you about that a little bit. And they mostly just kind of concentrate on getting our name out there with editors and big magazines and publications of that nature. And one of the ones we had reached out to was this company called Food and Wine located on the East Coast, and they wanted a package of our hot dogs. They were a small publication. A lot of those don't do a whole lot for us except build our rankings and SEO there, our organic search. And we sent out a package of hot dogs to them. I never really heard back. We didn't, weren't tracking about an article coming out or anything like that. And before I knew it, I'm sitting there on a random Thursday, sales have been dead all day and my phone just starts blowing up like one after the other. And trying to figure out what's going on. So I called the PR firm. They're like, I don't think anything came out today. I'm not tracking anything. And I get a phone call from my wife and she's like, what's going on? By the time I got home, we were already backordered on hot dogs. And that article actually went viral as the number one story on Apple News, Yahoo, MSN, MSNBC, and CNBC for about 24 hours. And we had about a half million people visit the website. And we are definitely still in the trenches of trying to figure out how to get these back orders out the door as quick as possible.
1: Yeah, because part of the reason I want to have you on is I guess you're just 29 years old. That's correct. Right. And so you're still young in the business. So you haven't hit some of the criteria I normally have, but I think it's always good to have different types of entrepreneurs on on different parts of their business, right? Whether you're a few years in or you've been doing it for 20 years, because all of us are going to experience that. Maybe there's someone in your exact spot, or maybe someone hasn't even started a company and they have to figure out these things. It's always still a better thing to be sold out of everything versus not being able to sell everything. But this happening and you weren't even ready for it is kind of interesting interesting. So I kind of forgot that we had even talked about that. So when did that article come
0: out? So it came out August 1st. It was random Thursday. And I really think it was honestly the title, right? They had this title that said basically they had found a hot dog that tastes like steak. And then they compared us to four of our competitors. They basically said we beat everybody else. And this article was just ridiculous. It proclaimed that we had the best hot dog in the world. So at that point, I had two guys working for me, one full-time, one part-time, and now we're up to six. It's really awesome. We're really blessed to have that kind of traction, but at the same time, death by growth is a real thing. So we're trying to be very careful with where we spend our resources right now. And making sure that these customers come back to us is definitely something that's top priority.
1: Yeah, but I'm still going to emphasize that at least if you come out and they comparing you to other meets, right, and that you're the best versus being the worst, right, that you're in a good spot comparatively. Because all of us are going to go through issues in our business, whether it's hiring or firing or dealing, whatever, and you know, having customers want to buy your product and being sold out. Again, obviously, you'd rather not be sold out at all, but it looks like something that you didn't even foresee coming and that it just hit you. Because now I do remember you told me that you were, things were going crazy right now, but this must have been the crazy thing that you were talking about
0: that's correct before this the biggest article we'd had come out about us that like we really saw contribute to sales was the Today show and that was about hundred times less than what we've done in sales from this article which was a small publication so just to give reference this publication had about 30,000 paid subscribers when that article went live and overnight they went to a hundred thousand subscribers so we both kind of saw the benefit so it's kind of cool uh, another small business that's also seen the benefit from this article but you're absolutely right it's a great thing and we're gonna make it happen they're just trying to figure out what our new normal sales is going to be after we catch up on this is kind of a shot in the dark, if you will. That makes sense.
1: Well, yeah, you said you're in Missouri. So why don't you give us a little bit more backstory about your company? And I guess we've talked about obviously, you know, hitting this issue and having too many sales or people want to do that. But just tell us a little bit overall about your company and how long you've been doing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I got out of the military in 2014. I was a member of the special operations there for about four and a half years. And I went back to school to become a large animal vet at the University of Missouri and kind of through happenstance throughout that time, finishing my undergrad, I decided on pursuing a path in entrepreneurship. And the brain baby of those two passions was Casey Cattle Company. It's been around for about three years now. We're only in our second year sales. We've been very fortunate in the traction we've received from the end consumers. So you know, the most important part to me when we got started was putting out a really quality product. I was probably a little naive that people were going to just figure that out and come to me. (laughs) (laughs) Right but we've kind of dabbled in different marketing areas and definitely the best payoff I've had in a PR firm. You know, We kind of talked about that when we did our pre-interview there, but there's so many different places where you can spend money in marketing and it's really tough trying to measure what your ROI is in some of those areas. And we had tried a couple and really didn't see a whole lot of traction from them. And then one of the nonprofits, veteran nonprofits that we work with here in Kansas City, the director was like, hey, have you tried a PR firm? I was like, what's a PR firm? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, isn't that something that politicians have to make sure their image stays uh, nice and clean. But, you know, we went and had a conversation with the firm and we were really impressed. And at that point, you know, I had $9,000 left in our checking account. We had just gone through kind of restructuring of the end consumer that we were going after. Before that, we were going after restaurants really hard and we just got our butts handed to us trying to go after that market. So kind of had an emergency meeting, came up with this idea that we were just going to focus on the end consumer. And we had essentially three months to make that happen or else we were going to be in some pretty grave trouble. So luckily that did happen for us and it's been kind of snowballing ever since.
1: That's great, because I think talking to you in these early stages, why don't we talk about some of those things that didn't necessarily work for you that maybe other businesses might try? And then we can talk a little bit more about the PR if you don't mind. Because again, your PR person reached out to me and I've got people who reach out to me all the time, but for some reason like yours, I mean, I've got the email up, but the one that she sent me kind of stood out from some of the other ones that I get. So it seems like this PR company actually has worked for you. Because again, not all PR companies also necessarily work. But let's talk about again, the things that didn't work for you that other people have probably tried too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we tried some of the traditional methods at the beginning there. When we made that transition from going after the restaurant to the consumer, because, you know, putting money into advertising for restaurants, you're going in B2B at that point and it just doesn't pay off. When we started going B2C, we tried the traditional routes, radio advertising. We were getting our butts handed to us on Facebook and Instagram ads, mostly because I don't think we really knew what we were doing. I think if you hire the right company for that, that can be pretty good ROI. And that's kind of something we're looking into right now. But those were the main faucets that we were putting money towards. And the PR firms are not cheap. The biggest reason I hear from other business owners why they don't use them is because I mean it's a mortgage payment right so a big mortgage payment (laughs) but what you just said about seeing their email and being like this is different from a lot of the ones that we got we hear that over and over again with like the today show told us that and Forbes we've built a great relationship with Forbes we've had three or four articles come out about our products in the last year and being able to have that kind of traction not only helps you with the initial sales bump and the traction on your website and also gaining followers on Instagram and Facebook but on top of that those links from those big, big websites to an online e-commerce website, it helps your SEO organic search tenfold. So when we brought on the SEO firm this year, that was the biggest thing he told me to, was to make sure we keep the PR firm on because they're doing more for our organic search than, than they ever could. So,
1: So I guess it was just even finding the right PR firm worked out for you. So was it just kind of luck that you think you hit on the right person or how did this work out for you?
0: You know, Austin, I wish I could say I was that smart, but honestly, they're the only ones I interviewed. I was really impressed with that initial sit down I had with them. And I didn't know any other PR firms, especially here in Kansas City, right? The really good ones you find are out in New York or California or whatnot. And so being here in Kansas City, I consider that more so luck that we ran into them and the fact that they have really transitioned. The money we pay them from articles to followers to purchases to repeat customers. The money that we do spend If you convert it out to what we've done in sales because of the articles they've had published for us, I mean, the money spent per customer definitely pencils out.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, even after this last one, especially, right? I mean, (laughs) I mean, they basically, if you're able to sell out of everything, then it sounds like it
0: worked. Absolutely. I mean, they paid for two years worth of what we pay them. Right. I've
1: had the same thing when I've looked at PR or uh, heard about PR companies. It's just like finding the right business. Sometimes you find the right ones that work for you and some that don't. Even you're talking about with like maybe Facebook Advertiser or something. Maybe the first ones that you went with weren't helping. And so maybe with a different one, it did work out. But for this one, can you give us like a ballpark of like what you might pay monthly or how that works? Because again, like you were saying, a lot of the ones in New York, they are super expensive and they might only work with Fortune 5000 companies ones of big businesses. Like yours, you said you had like two people working with you and you're able to hire a PR company.
0: Yeah. So they're monthly, right? I have no problem giving that. It's 4,000, right? And I'll give my contact information or at least some of it at the end of this interview. And I'm absolutely willing to give out their information too. I, although I don't know if they might end up charging me more money if they get too much. <laughs> right, you have to wait. But yeah, no, they uh, bringing them on because they're growing like crazy too right now, because especially we've kind of been a really good forefront person for them as well, because obviously we have a pretty good story about what is the benefit of PR and we show that tremendously. So helping them out in whatever way we can, I think it's a symbiotic relationship, if you will.
1: Yeah. Thank you for giving us some insight on what helped. Because even you said, it sounded like you were on your last legs when you decided to use this company and only a few thousand bucks left in your business account and hoping that this thing would work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one other thing I'll throw in is it's not going to be a good fit for everybody, right? Like it really worked well for us because we had a cool story to tell Being a veteran-owned and veteran-operated company, everybody at Casey Cattle Company are veterans. And so that played really well into distinguishing ourselves from the 100 other emails that Today Show or Forbes or the other big publications get. I will mention that you just need to have a really good product and you need to be able to tell a story about your company. And those two things combined, I think the PR firm's probably some of the best money you can spend on marketing.
1: Tied down at work, don't let your software search kill those summer vibes. Now you can ditch the office overtime and find options for your business in minutes with Capterra. Read hundreds of thousands of reviews and make finding the right software for your business a breeze at capterra.com forward slash millionaire. Capterra is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. With over 950,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 categories of software, everything from project management to CRMs to email marketing to yoga studio management software. Well, just basically any category you can think of, they have covered. I used Capterra to check the top audio editing software and web conferencing software to make sure we're using the best products for editing and recording this podcast. So no matter what kind of software your business needs, Capterra makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. Visit Capterra.com millionaire for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. Capterra.com millionaire. Capterra, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot millionaire. Capterra, software selection simplified. It's the time of year when everyone is traveling or running around getting thoughtful gifts for the people you care about. Think about giving yourself the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the best time to do it with a special offer of 53% off your first three months. Access an unbeatable selection of audiobooks including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. You can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two exclusive Audible originals. You can't hear anywhere else. Listen on any device, anytime, anywhere with the Audible app. It's great while commuting, at the gym, or during your holiday travels. See, with Audible, you'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges. And your own audiobook library you keep forever, even if you cancel. Right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That's more than half off the regular price. Give yourself the gift of listening. For more, go to audible.com slash millionaire. Choose one audiobook plus two Audible Originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com millionaire or text millionaire to 500-500. That's audible.com millionaire or text millionaire to 500-500. So to check out some awesome business books like Traction by Gina Wickman or Principles by Ray Dalio, again, go check out Audible at a u d. I-B-L-E dot com slash millionaire or text millionaire to 500-500. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've got the email up right now. So what you said exactly. The emails that I get of people who want to come on podcasts are like, oh, this guy's been to prison multiple times and he's gotten out of debt. It's like the same story over and over. And I'm just calling bullshit on it over and over versus the story I got from you. Like you're Missouri. So that's a little different, right? That's a different angle. Like you're saying veteran owned and they have some pictures of you just so people have an idea of what works. Pictures of you and your product and your dog out there. So I'm like, I already see, I'm like, okay, this is a different kind of story. Cause I'm always trying to angle into, again, to have different types of guests on here. Cause there's entrepreneurs all across the U S and all across the world. So to me, it's always interesting to get those interesting stories everyone should have an interesting angle but again you've got to figure that out like if you were just computer programmer and they sent me an email about you with you on a computer in new york or something like that i'd be like okay on to the next one you know
0: I went to a marketing seminar that one of my advisors brought me along with. It was a room full of presidents, CEOs, people that are done a lot more in business than I have. And I was kind of fortunate enough to just kind of tag along. And the guy at the very beginning was like, what distinguishes you from the rest of your competitors? And he kind of goes around this room and most of these people are a lot smarter than me. And you got your standard answers and it was our customer service or our product quality or the way we take care of our employees and yada, yada. And that guy at the end was like, all those things are not distinguishes you. Those things are necessary in today's market to survive. It's like, you need to figure out what really works for your brand to distinguish you from any of the other competitors that they can't duplicate. And I remember sitting in there at this point, we just brought on our first other employee who was a veteran. And I was like, that's it for us. Like, it's our culture and it's the philanthropic side of what we do that distinguishes us from our competitors. And kind of getting away from, you know, at that point, I really didn't advertise or talk about any of that, or I didn't tell any of my story. And I just had to get out of my comfort zone and really kind of be like, this is what is going to be able to grow our company and be able to help more people. So when I kind of made that transition in my mind, that was a turning point for sure.
1: Well, yeah. So we've been talking about marketing your business and kind of seeing what actually worked for or what happened. Why don't we actually, again, go back to maybe the first, right before you even started, and we'll kind of go step by step, if you don't mind, about growing your actual business. And I appreciate, again, you giving some insights on what's actually worked here so far early on in your business. Absolutely. Why don't we talk about just even before you started, I guess you were talking about you went to school to be a vet, and then do you want to kind of pick it up from there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I got out in 2014, like I mentioned there. I moved to Columbia, Missouri, went back and was doing a program in animal science, which is essentially what you can do for an undergrad to get into vet school. And I really love the lifestyle and the large animal side. I had a job as a vet tech at that point in a small animal clinic. So essentially dogs and cats every single day. And I was like, I can't do this. And that's where the money's at for veterinarians and or most veterinarians, I shouldn't say all, but I just kind of at that point was like, this isn't penciling out for me. You know, I got to do another six years of school to be able to make this a reality. And I'm already getting a late start in life doing the military after I graduated high school. So at that point, I was taking a single business class that was actually an entrepreneurial class. And I was like, you know, I really like this stuff. I like crunching the numbers. I like figuring out how to solve problems. And I just started to pursue that. I took a couple more classes. as finishing up my undergrad. And I was like, you know, there's other mail order Wagyu beef companies out there. There's not one in the Midwest that's not a big market yet. And nobody's really taking advantage of those states. There's a ton out on the East Coast, there's some out on the West Coast, but we would kind of be the only one in that geographical location. So I had that brain baby and I just started to put together a business plan in my last year, my undergrad. And I remember the first person I presented it to was my wife, <laughs> right? Because she's the boss. If she said I couldn't do this, then she'd already been the sugar mama for a couple of years while I was finishing my undergrad there. So her big thing was I got to start contributing.
1: All right. Also, right, you're out of the marriage.
0: Exactly. She was the first person I presented it to. And fortunately for me, she's a saint. So she blessed off on it. And from that point, you know, her and I kind of started to put our heads together about how we could actually make this happen.
1: Well, beforehand, so did you really enjoy beef? for, can you tell us a little bit about that angle before you even put together the business plan?
0: I enjoyed the cattle side, right? So that was the part I really enjoyed. And through the last two years, I've become obviously, for reasons that I don't need a state, I've become much more knowledgeable about the meat science side and the cooking side, the culinary side. All those things have kind of combined and be able to sell this to people and really make the product well known. You know, those are things I've become educated about, but those were not my passions at the beginning. And if I'm being totally honest, it was more like I just love the cattle business and the market in Kansas City hadn't been tapped yet. And I was like, I'm going to be the one to do that. I Figured out once I actually started the company that the Kansas City market just wasn't there yet. We got the question about 20 times a day, "What the heck is Wagyu beef?" Right. And that was three years ago. Now I can't even remember the last time we had somebody ask us that. So we got in at the right time, and that was part of it. And as of now, two of our best-selling states outside of Kansas, so Missouri and Kansas, are New York and California. So we've started to ship quite a bit out to those two states. And I think adaptability was my biggest part of the first couple of years here It was just being able to be like, hey, this isn't working. We got to shift the path we're taking or we're not going to make it. So yeah,
1: why don't we jump back to the business plan, you and your wife. So yeah, you wanted to get into it because you like the cattle aspect and that's what you're saying. Even you wanted to get into that vet school, but you realized monetarily you're going to have to wait six or seven years and then you didn't
0: even really make real money in it is what it sounded like. Exactly. You know, at that point, the next part I had to figure out was how the heck am I gonna pay for this? <laughs> right. That's the fun part. That's the fun part. <laughs> we had a small amount of savings. We moved over to a business checking account and that was kind of my seed money, if you will. It was like $8,000, right? So that doesn't take you very far in an agriculture business. It's expensive trying to get started. So,
1: Yeah. Did you get it from your sugar mama?
0: Part of it. And part of it was what I had saved in the military that I hadn't spent on stupid things when I was younger. So I moved that money over and that was enough for me to at least kind of get my footing and figure out, do the small things like design a website and put some money towards just getting a proof of concept. And at this point, had you quit school and that you were totally focused on you were going to do this? Well, I'd actually just finished. So I finished that winter in 2016 and then we moved back in March of 2017 and I hit the ground running the second I graduated there. So the next thing I started to do is approach traditional lending options for agriculture people, which you know is your FSA loans, USDA loans, those types of things. And they're very set in the types of agriculture businesses that they do lending with. So for cattle, it would be cow-calf producers or backgrounding guys or feedlots or things like that nature. And I came in there all uh, the starry-eyed and bushy-tailed and was like, here's my idea. I want to buy calves and I want to feed them all the way out on my property and then I'm going to sell the meat. They're kind of like, yeah, that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because
1: again, it's a total different aspect because when you're talking online versus if you would have said not online, this sounds like they probably would approve you. But it's just a foreign concept to them that you can actually do an online business, it sounds like.
0: Well, absolutely. And then on top of that, I didn't have the collateral. I mean, I was 26 years old at this point, so I didn't have the collateral that they wanted for the loan and owed had to have been a substantial amount just to even get started. Right. I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to have to rethink how I do this. And at that point, I started going to personal investors. I was fortunate enough to have some guys in my life that done very well for themselves and more so than trying to make money off of me. They just wanted to see me succeed. So I got a $50,000 seed investment from one of my good friends. And that was enough for us to really get our footing and start getting some traction. It made us through that first year. And I'm not really sure how I did that looking back on it, because it's not a lot of money. But from there, you know, we kind of really started to get some traction with restaurants and we were starting to do some sales and things like that. And was it called Casey Cattle Company? Did you like start the name off that way? We did. Okay. I spent a lot of time trying to think of that because for an e-commerce business, that's a pretty important part, right? Right. I was fortunate enough that I found Casey Cattle Company. The URL is available. The trademark was available, all that stuff. So we got a hold of that and we took advantage of it. And we've been pretty fortunate that we did get that name.
1: And you keep saying we, but weren't you kind of the only one running the ship at this point?
0: Absolutely. But I consider my wife in that.
1: Right. Yeah. Because I mean, she helped you with the money. And then I mean, I kind of think the same thing because you ever give up time of hanging out with her or whatever to do it as well. But did she have a like nine to five that she was doing? She did. Okay.
0: At this point, we at least didn't have kids. So we had a little more time to be able to, and it was really all we talked about at that point in our lives was we talked about business and lending and marketing. And we wore all those hats for the first year of the company. And then about a year ago from July, we brought on our first full-time guy. You know, like I stated getting there, we brought on four or five guys since then. Right. And even to that
1: beginning time when you're calling at Casey Cattle Company, can you tell us like how things had switched once you got that $50,000 of investment? Because I don't want to brush over that because I think at that point is when you realize it can actually happen because before it sounded like maybe you weren't sure if it's going to actually even happen.
0: Right. Well, and the other important part at that point of our company was obviously you need land to run cattle on and land is not cheap, (laughs) especially 45 minutes northwest of Kansas City. And I was pretty adamant about that fact that I wanted to be close to the city because the area that we ended up purchasing in was kind of the epicenter farm to table for Kansas City. So I wanted to be in that area, but land is not cheap. And so luckily for me, I was able to find a landowner that was willing to lease to us for a pretty cheap amount. Sure a lot of people listening have no idea how much square acreage or whatever, how
1: much is considered even cheap, so how much did you end up paying?
0: We ended up doing like eight bucks an acre for pasture ground, so that's fairly cheap for where we're at mm. Mm-hmm. You know, on average, where we're located, and some people are going to laugh at this when I call this expensive if they're in a place that you know cost of living is very expensive. But you're looking at four thousand for pasture ground, and you're looking at six to seven thousand for anything that's tillable or that you'd use for row crop. So that's uh, per acre. So that gets expensive really quick. Right.
1: And so the main thing that was able to make this happen is that you understood how to raise cattle.
0: Absolutely. The education I got, and you know, I kind of always tell people about this when I talk to younger crowds, especially when I go back to the University of Missouri, where I'm talking to like my old high school or something like that. One of the biggest things I tell people is, you know, you don't have to go to college right after high school. That's not everybody's pathway. And going out and getting some experience and seeing the rest of the world is not a bad idea when you graduate high school. Because when I came back to go to college, I knew what my passions were, I knew myself, and thus I was able to pick something that I knew would turn into a career for me. So the education I got from Mizzou about animal science was definitely very important to being successful on the husbandry side of raising cattle you know at that point i didn't have any money to pay a farm manager to do that so i'm wearing 12 hats trying to figure out how to make this thing happen just like most entrepreneurs the beginnings yeah
1: but not just college taught you that right did you get some experience in doing it in the real world too
0: Yeah, so I had done some externships and stuff like that. But before joining the military, people always ask me this. I had no experience in agriculture. So I did not come from a farm. I didn't spend any time around large animals when I was a kid. So, you know, there's still a pretty steep learning curve compared to somebody that's been doing it since they were able to walk.
1: Okay. And so let's jump back into you actually finding the acreage and buying the cattle because I think it's a pretty foreign concept to a lot of people who are listening because the entrepreneurs that we have on, I don't think I've had anyone with like livestock raising and being able to do that before
0: we even get to selling it online. Well, you know, one thing I'll touch on is kind of what was the seed for this idea in my head was in the agriculture-based college. A lot of the conversations that we had are, what's the agriculture industry going to look like in 10 years or in 20 years or in 50 years? And, you know, one of the things that kept coming back on was there's just such a disconnect between what happens in agriculture to the consumer buying the product in the grocery store. So what happens in between then to make sure that steak ends up on your shelf or making sure that broccoli ends up on your shelf, right? So like consumers, they just don't know. And that's not no fault of their own, but kind of when I was thinking about this, I was like, well, let's bridge that gap. Let's cut out some of these middlemen and be very transparent about the way we do things. And that was a very fundamental part when we started the company was we want to show people like this is what our day to day looks like. This is how we take care of our animals. Here's some misnomers about labels you're purchasing from the grocery store.
1: Okay, so now it's starting to come together more, and that's good that you were able to think that way, even in college, if that's what they were talking about, because I could see like lag behind in the livestock industry, if you will, on making consumers aware and being able to sell direct to consumers on there. Because again, I guess a lot of what I would assume is kind of maybe family farmers who are selling to bigger markets or whatever, versus you actually have an idea of being able to make it an e-commerce play.
0: Yeah. Even this year, right? Beyond Meats, the IPO that came out at the beginning of this year, it was the best IPO of this year. And basically what they're doing is they're turning soybeans into a fake burger, which from what I hear tastes exactly like what you would get from McDonald's or something like that. That's an actual animal that's being turned into a hamburger. So kind of being able to see that and being like, hey, the market's shifting here 20, 30 years from now, I'm not sure if we'll have KFOS, which is these large feedlots out in Colorado and the Northwest and all over the country, really. I'm not sure if those things will still be around in 20, 30 years just because consumers don't want that anymore. If they're going to spend the money on a steak, they would rather do it less frequently and buy something more expensive. And that's kind of what I banked on when I started this company was don't disregard the cost, but how do we raise something that's a palatable difference from the steak that you get from your butcher's counter at your local grocery store? And, you know, from the feedback we've gotten since starting, I think we've achieved that.
1: Well, yeah. So why don't we jump into again, back to where you got the acreage and you buying your first cattle. Again, if you can just take it step by step and make it as simple as we can to try to understand.
0: I know I'm all over the place, aren't I? No, it's all good. I mean, <laughs> dude,
1: because it's so easy to you, I assume versus like me, I'm not scared to ask dumb questions or try to keep it like go back to it. Because again, I don't want to jump over any steps because it's very interesting to me. It really is. So it's like, you know, how many cattle do you buy? How long does it take to actually make them into beef? Like, so yeah, just jump back into after you're able to find the rent and rent this space out, like what your next steps were.
0: Yeah, so from there we started put some money into cattle and some of the logistics that go into cattle and being able to feed out cattle. So one of the big differences between Wagyu and traditional breeds is you do what's called slow feeding for Wagyu. So instead of harvesting that animal at eighteen months, about the absolute youngest we go is twenty four months, and on average is probably closer to twenty eight to thirty months. So you're putting a lot more input into that animal, which is part of the reason it's so much more expensive. So we had to start thinking about that, and it's almost like growing grapes for wine, right? Like you have to. Project what you're going to need in two years from now, not necessarily what you are selling currently one of the things that we started doing at that point was going out and talking to other ranchers that practice similar husbandry skills. So when I say that, you know, they're treating the animals that we like to treat our animals. They're they're not using growth hormones. They're not doing those types of things. And we started to kind of build some relationships with those guys so that if we did get in a pinch like we're in right now, we can go out to them and be like, hey, if you have a surplus of fat cattle right now, we want to be able to buy those from you. So that was kind of all at that initial beginning point right there. And we made a lot of mistakes. We worked with ranchers that didn't put out a good product. Product and we worked with guys that did put out a really good product, but they were too expensive or, you know, the relationship just didn't work. So at that beginning phase there, that was a lot of what we were doing. And on top of that, we were buying our own cattle to put on our property.
1: Yeah. And probably because if you just given the timeline, you said if you would have just done your own cattle, you'd have to have a minimum wait two
0: years to actually see some money, right? Exactly. So We were buying feeder calves, which a feeder calf is basically a younger animal that's three to 500 pounds. And we were feeding that out on the property, which still takes an additional year and six months, essentially. And how much does one cost? It's dictated by commodity prices. And normally for a Wagyu animal, you're paying a premium on top of that. So it depends on the stock market right now, cattle prices, like last year, they were going down because of the drought in both the central states here and then Texas. And we're still kind of seeing that, but you gotta be able to predict a little bit what you think the market's doing. And that equates to looking at how your big cattle producing states, mostly Missouri and Texas are doing weather-wise. So this year it's been extremely wet. We've had a lot of flooding, same for Nebraska and Iowa. So on top of that too, you got to think about corn and things like that that are going into the feed because those prices will probably go up because there'll be a shortage.
1: If we just had to average it out, would we say like a thousand bucks for cattle or I have no idea?
0: More than that. So you're buying it by the pound. Like, oh, I could look it up on my cell phone here, but you can look at the cattle prices. You're looking anywhere from 1500 bucks to 2000, depending on the weight of the animal. So,
1: I mean, for me, I felt like that was a great estimate Then (laughs) it wasn't like 10,000, you know, I assume a lot of people listening have no clue, right? At least I'm getting a better idea of my head around all this stuff. And you adding all these variables into it, it sounds like, yeah, obviously, it must be hard to kind of figure out a price at the end of the day, if you've got all these different variables.
0: At least we had the option to be able to adjust our stake prices. Right. At the end. Right. Like most guys that are in the cattle business, unfortunately, they don't have that. And so that's one of the reasons why it's so tough to make good money in the agriculture business is because you're selling based on commodities. So despite what you do, there's going to be market influences that dictate your price. I think that needs to change. And I think it will over the next 20 years. But I think you're going to start seeing a lot more companies like mine that are like, you know, this is crazy. Why don't we sell to the end consumer? It's worth the headache.
1: Right. Because I've always heard like if it's rich again in farming, why do farmers need so many subsidies and whatnot? There aren't generally rich people, it seems like. But you're saying it's because they have to sell at these commodity prices. But if you're able to sell to the end consumer, you can keep switching the prices of your steaks and make a lot more profit than whatever these guys are selling. If they're selling to are they selling to big grocery stores or where were they normally going to versus what you're selling to?
0: I'll give a couple of examples. So like a cow-calf producer, which is essentially a guy that has mama cows that is breeding them each year, and then he is selling those calves at winning weight. So essentially the calves are six months old when he sells to either a sale barn or a feedlot or something of that nature. So you're selling to the feedlot. The feedlot is then selling to some kind of meat distributor or a processor, and then they're selling to a distributor, and then that distributor is selling to the grocery store. So there's a lot of middlemen in that business model, right?
1: Right. Versus you, after you buy the cattle or then you just can sell to the consumer, you're cutting out basically at least two middlemen. Exactly. And that was kind of
0: the model I banked on when I started this.
1: Nice. I mean, so now it seems like it's making a lot more sense. So could you do this for a lot of different versus just doing for cattle, let's say even corn or something like that. But I don't know if that's too commoditized or what do you think about other markets other than just cattle?
0: So definitely on the livestock side, I think you could probably duplicate what I'm doing for just about any livestock, but the stuff like row crops, like you're saying, corn, like here in Missouri, about 60% of the corn we harvest doesn't go for human consumption. It's turned into further processed stuff for plastics and corn syrup and dog food and cattle feed. So those are tougher to replicate, but on the livestock, you can absolutely do this with any type of chickens, pork, you name it. So are you thinking maybe the feature you might do that? it may or may not be in the works to start adding more products. And so we were trying to do pork this year, but our biggest thing is like, you know, with the Wagyu, there's a palatable difference. So we want to make sure we stay in that, that brand identity where the products we're bringing onto the website. You can still taste the difference from what you buy at the grocery store. So one of the things we've been looking into is Mangalisa pigs, which are kind of like the Kobe of the pork world, if you will. So, you know, we want to start doing that. We want to start bringing on more products, but we just want to be slow and methodical getting into it. Unlike when I jumped into this business. So, we don't make as many mistakes
1: yeah and again yeah that makes sense because yeah if you can just be the premium brand right for these types of things like if you're just selling me the same chicken that i buy at the grocery store that was tyson's chicken and you cost more then i'm not going to buy it from you but you can tell that its quality is better then i'm willing to pay more and then you're probably going to be able to make obviously a higher profit versus just selling
0: it direct through two middlemen like you were saying right Well, that's exactly it. I mean, the majority of people that come to us, either they're buying for a special occasion or they have that disposable income where they can afford our products. So, you know, trying to seek out those customers. We're not focusing on people that are okay with eating. Man, I'm trying to think of a diplomatic. Oscar Mayer hot dogs. Yeah, exactly. So that's not our demographic. Our stuff is definitely not the cheapest, but there's plenty of places out there that sell those types of products. So I'm okay with that.
1: All right. So, yeah, again, I keep taking the conversation off because I'm trying to get educated as well.
0: Yeah, that one was your fault, Austin.
1: Yeah, I know. I'll take the blame on that one. But the rest is your fault if we do it again. So, yeah, you're a couple months in. It's smart, too, that again, I guess I'll ask, did you ever think about not raising your own livestock and just going straight to these farmers? I can see how it's like it works perfectly now where you're diversified if you can get from some farmers that have the same raising that you do. But at first, did you think about just using those guys only and not even raising your own livestock?
0: Well, it's funny you say that. Not at first, I did not. Now I'm thinking about that. So I think I'm getting off again here, but this one is also your fault. Yeah. We can't keep up with demand, right? Like I said at the beginning, land's very expensive at where we're at. And so I can't bring myself to buy more land to raise more cattle for a more expensive price than than what specifically we have one rancher that just puts out a very consistent, great product at a price that's affordable. He's actually doing it cheaper than what we get ourselves. So I think what we're kind of transitioning to is he's going to do our F1s and basically an F1 is a 50% Wagyu, 50% Angus. And then we're going to raise the full bloods, which is 100% Wagyu on our property because we can keep up with that demand. It doesn't sell as well as the F1s because price point is higher.
1: And it lets you specialize kind of in what you're doing, right? These are farmers, it sounds like, have no clue to set up an e-commerce platform. And if you're able to diversify yourself and not just, again, get it all from one guy where they could screw you, or maybe let's say that beef's not as good for some reason for one season, it makes sense. And maybe even if you, if you get, I guess it sounds like it's easy for you to back out of raising your own cattle because you just leased the land, right? You didn't buy it and then you didn't buy all this, I don't know, equipment that you needed. I don't know if you bought that or if you can easily sell that or what. I mean, we did
0: buy it, but that stuff's easy to sell too,
1: right? Right. That's what I figured.
0: And that that's kind of the mindset we had. And on top of that, the thing I'm starting to figure out is I just don't have enough hours in the day to manage both effectively. So one of the guys, the guy that's been with me for about a year is taking over the farm management side. Now we're starting to shop for fulfillment centers somewhere closer to the city. And I want to be able to focus on that because if that money's not coming in the front door, the whole thing's going to fall apart.
1: Right. So what I've thought is like maybe you just have a spinoff company where the one company is the one that raises your cattle that you have. And then your main company, if it's the one like where you're getting from your own beef and then you're also getting it from other farmers, if you will. Because, again, like you're saying, it sounds like there's so much work on both ends that you've got to pick one and see what you're best at and kind of roll with it.
0: And I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to agriculture. And I'll be the first one to say that. And there's a lot of veterans that are very passionate about that side that I want to be able to help out and make that what they're really good at and what we transition to.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, no, it sounds like it's a good transition. Again, a learning experience that you figured out over the first three years of you growing your own business Is First, you jump in, you have this vision, but being able to make switch and not be like, hey, I have to be the guy who does that. Maybe you did that at first because you couldn't find the beef that you wanted. But over time, you found these relationships where some of these guys have raised the right, I guess, cow, cows or cattle, if you will, that, you know, meets those requirements that you want.
0: That's exactly right. And kind of, you know, jumping back into where I was at timeline at that place was, you know, we were focusing on restaurants at that point. And we got up to, I don't know, we were maybe doing 13, 14 in Kansas City. And that model was extremely tough in Kansas City, one, because I was a little early on the Wagyu market. So a lot of people in Kansas City just didn't know what Wagyu was yet. And, you know, you'd always kind of see the eyebrows furrow on these restaurant owners when I would tell them our price points. They're willing to pay a little bit of a premium, but at the same time, they weren't willing to pay the premium that would make a pencil for us. So we were really starting to stretch ourselves thin, one on our gross margins, and then on two was our accounts receivables getting ridiculous. Probably about that kind of brings us through the beginning of 2018 there. And then probably about September, October 2018 is when I had that sit down with the people that advised me and was like, this is not working. What do we do? We sat there and threw around numbers and, and kind of just talked about things. And what we figured out was our end market needs to be the consumer. That's what makes this business pencil. And from then headlong into it.
1: Right, Because even then, when you're going straight to the restaurant, the restaurant's basically kind of a middleman because they've got to mark up that price of that beef to make a profit for their consumer versus, again, if it's a customer, maybe they're cooking it at home, obviously, but you're going straight to the customer versus the restaurant being a middleman.
0: That's exactly right. The margins for restaurants aren't great either. So it's no fault to their own. We just couldn't afford it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, like they have to buy it at a certain price. So yeah, you can't fault them for doing it. But it's like, okay, if you can go straight to that consumer. So when you made this transition, were you saying, how old is your company? Because I'm looking at LinkedIn and it says it like August 2016, but I don't know if that was just the idea. So it says it's three years old. But again, I want to make sure we stay like what year was when you made this transition?
0: Yeah. So this would have been 2018. We were selling to consumers at that point, but like we had no systems in place. I mean, we had a local delivery service in Kansas City. And at that point I still used USPS for mailing beef, which was terrible. And we kind of started to change all that. I guess that's not true. We had just switched to UPS in the spring of 2018. So we started to make some moves towards being able to do mail order beef more efficiently, but it was definitely not our main revenue source at that point. So three years is pretty close. Three years is exactly when we filed the, work, the paperwork for uh, the LLC, but we're really only in our second year of sales right now. I'm distinguishing
1: that because a lot of people will kind of do that where like maybe they start the LLC and maybe it's still like six months, nine months, whatever, till you actually get up and going. Maybe you're still putting things in place or trying to figure out what makes sense or getting that $50,000. I imagine after you opened up the LLC, like we said, it wasn't the very next day that you're able to get that money. So basically after your first year, I'm saying you were able to make this transition to kind of going more consumer focused versus the first year you really were trying to do restaurant
0: focused, if you will. Exactly. Yep. That's almost exactly correct as far as the timeline goes. Okay. So first year, did you make any money? No, no. We lost our rear ends the first year. Yeah. How much did you lose? $120,000, something like that. So
1: were you able to, were you kept getting money from, because you said you had 50,000 from investors and...
0: Yeah. We got a second loan that second year for 400,000. From one of the investors? Yeah. From another investor.
1: So tell us how you felt, if you can remember, like going back to that first year, were you thinking that this was a mistake?
0: We don't even have to go into the first year. I mean, even this year, we were still losing money the first couple months of 2019. So any entrepreneur can kind of relate to this. It's taking money out that's not their own. It's a lot of sleepless nights and thinking about how to to make things more efficient. And if this is, you know, trying to be able to see that light at the end of the tunnel is important, but it's not an easy task you're like, well, all I need to do is this for sales, but you're, how do I get there? And how do I reach critical mass? Because I just keep adding on more expenses, the bigger, bigger I grow. And so that's a lot of, and we're still in that. I mean, this month has definitely been an exception, but like trying to think about how we grow efficiently without spending more and more money to the point where this thing is never profitable. And at this point in our growth, I think profitability has become definitely a tackle.
1: It goes back to you've even saying like, you only have so much time. So figuring out where you can spend that time for you to actually make more profit. So that first year, obviously you made no money, but what did your wife even think about this at this point? Because again, I guess you have kids at this point and it sounds like
0: you might have some now, but was she still believing in you? She was because she would see the growth. Right. And like, it's kind of funny because every time I'd get really down on myself and the company and be like, this isn't working. Like, I just need to cut ties. And it would be that next week where we'd have some big break where we'd do 10, 12,000 in sales. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, now, now we're doing it. And then, you know, the next, it's just a ebb and flow type deal. You know how it goes. So she was still supportive, very supportive. But I've also not been extremely transparent about how bad I was stressing. <laughs> so, which probably could be a good thing
1: at some points too. I think everyone understands. Cause if you tell her every negative thing that's going to happen, then she probably maybe not
0: as supportive, if you will. Well, and that's it. You know, I'm already causing myself not to sleep. Why bring her down? I was very transparent about there's still a good chance that this company fails, but here's what I think the chances are. Are you okay with me taking that? And she always said yes. So we're still open in 2019. So you said you weren't sleeping a lot. Like, so how many hours were you working on this business full time? 40 hours was a minimum, right? And that's not taking in the fact that I was constantly replying to Facebook messages and Instagram and emails. I feel like the electronic stuff, it's almost easy to not count that as work hours, but you know, I was spending two hours in the morning before I go to work and I'd spend two hours at night before I go to bed. And so, you know, now, it's like, you know, I'm still doing 80 hour work weeks, which is okay. You know, you expect that as a new business and I'm kind of fortunate, right? Because her dad was an entrepreneur and so she grew up in that lifestyle. So she's used to the fact that there is going to be a, hopefully a gold egg at the end of this very long work hours where I'm not around for her and the babies. My thing
1: is, too, yeah, I didn't know if you are just working on the weekends, too, or if it's like, at least on the weekends, you cut it off, Cause especially in the beginning, you seem like you're getting so reeled into it that eventually you have to sever, like have some enjoyment other than the business, especially when the business is not really profitable, or maybe not where you want it at that point in time. So were you able to make that happen?
0: I just finished my MBA. So during this, I was also doing my MBA and I think I was driving back. So it was like an exec program, right? Where you do 80% online and then 20% in the classroom. So I was driving back from one of those and I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast and it was him talking about the things you wish you would have put in the four-hour work week. i had read that book, like I think, before you even started the company, but I definitely work a lot more than four hours. But you made the reference, and I probably messed this up, but one of the things you talked about was how you have to have different silos outside your company, right? I heard this exactly too, so if you get it wrong, then I'll tell you. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Austin. (laughs) But he was talking about if you have different silos outside your company, then you're not just depending on that company for happiness. I was like, man, that is so true because that week before I went to school, it was just terrible, right? Like anything that could have gone wrong, it gone wrong. And I was just in a terrible mood. And I think it was at that point where I was like, well, Let me think back to before I started this company, what were things I enjoyed doing? (laughs) And so, you know, I started to make working out a priority and spending time with my family a priority and, you know, actually enjoying the property that I was on because it's a beautiful piece of land. I just spend all my time working on it so I don't ever get to enjoy it. And so I started to carve some time out during the week no matter what was going on like even to this day some of my guys give me a hard time because instead of eating lunch I pound a quick protein shake and I got a little makeshift gym it reminds me of being overseas in the military it's dirty and filthy and everything's broken which is the way I like it and I go out there and I just beat the hell out of myself an hour and the rest of the day I'm in such a better mood because I got that blood flow going and maybe I got a new PR for some kind of lift or something like that those kinds of things are extremely important when you're starting a new business because there's just things that happen outside of your control no matter how hard you try there's going to be things that go wrong and if you only have that business to depend on for your happiness it just doesn't work out you're going to be miserable so i think when i made that distinction in my head it was when i really started to carve out personal time for the things i enjoyed although it wasn't very much time because normally when i wasn't working i was doing school work
1: if you listen to the show on a regular basis then you've heard me mention the Castbox podcast app i've been using it for the past several years and it's by far the best podcast app out there And I love using CastBox for really two main reasons. One, it's an easy way to interact with other podcast listeners by commenting on specific episodes. And two, they make it easy to find new podcasts that you haven't heard of. So if you're tired of using those outdated podcast apps that are missing modern day functions, well, join me and the 28 million users worldwide that use CastBox to listen to an awesome podcast every day, like the one you're listening to this very minute. Download CastBox right now to see what you're missing. Just check the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and search for CastBox. That's C-A-S-T-B-O-X. CastBox, the better podcast player. Yeah, sounds like it. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like I think I heard that a couple of years ago, and I remember the same thing because it was actually kind of when I started the podcast. So we probably listened to it about the same time. Whereas I was putting all these hours into the podcast. It's not necessarily that I was stopping doing other things else, but he was making distinction, like you were saying. If you put like health as a silo, or like work as you know your business as a different thing, or your friendships as a different thing, or your personal relationship with your wife, those are like four different silos. Where at least if like one's not doing great, which might be your business, right? Then at least if you're 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 working out a lot maybe you're killing it in the gym right so you feel good about that so you're winning something or maybe your relationship with your wife's doing really well at that point so at least you got something to count on that or your friendship so it's like different things or if you're religious like having those just distinguishing these different things so not everything's always going to be at 100% happiness in each one but at least if you have these different ones For instance, stopping going to the gym or stop hanging out with your friends or stop hanging out with your family and you put it all into working and then your work's also not working out that's when you get super depressed and you're like, okay, well, nothing's working. But if you at least carve out a couple of hours each week for these other things, then, and if things are more than likely, it's almost going to be almost impossible for all of them to be at a very, very low point. Like they're going to be at different parts or, you know, of happiness in each of them. And that's going to make you happier overall. If At least some of them are doing well, if your business is not doing well. So at least that's some advice for anyone who's kind of, maybe their business is not going that great, but again, maybe you're killing it in the gym and maybe you have a great family and friendships right now. And that's something to be happy about.
0: No, that's exactly right. And you know, it's funny you say that because when I started the company, one of the things I always do in my head is just the risk management. I'm like, well, what is the worst thing that happens if this business fails? And you know, at that point it was... I lose some money. I maybe have to go into bankruptcy. I maybe not. But at the end of the day, I still got my family. I still got my health. I still got all the blessings that they had been bestowed on me before I had this company. I think it's important to keep that in mind, because even if you're the smartest guy in the room, there's a part of entrepreneurship that is luck, right? So you got to be able to still rely on those things that are outside your company and be like, hey, if this fails, I still have these things. But if you don't focus on those things, you might not have those when you come out of this. So
1: And again, it's only carving out a couple of hours. And it's like what you said, because I do the same thing at least two or three times a week. During the week, I'm going to the actual gym and going during lunchtime, um, like you're saying. And then after I get out, sometimes I'm like, okay, I could have spent an hour working and powered through lunch and done that. But when you come out, you actually, when your blood's pumping from working out, you get a new excitement for when you come back. You have more energy than if you would have just worked through lunch, if you will it seems like that's what you end up doing as well. So it's just, again, things for people to think about. Are you actually putting adding to these different buckets in your life? Even if it's only a couple hours a week, overall, it's going to definitely make you way more happier and make you more excited about work. When you come back, you're going to have more energy. So overall, it's going to even help your work, even though you're taking a couple hours out to work on yourself, if you will.
0: I always tell the guys that work out there to do the same, you know, like, I think it carries over to employees the same. Like if you're taking the time out to help them be a better person and make them happier, that's going to come out in your productivity, right? So like, absolutely we'll pay any of the guys that work out there to come out and work out with me for an hour. None of them do. And I don't know if that's because I work out too hard or they think it's a setup, but I always make that clear that like, Hey, I want you guys to be better people just the same as I want myself to be better. And I think that's important is just being able to have those things that are outside of work because at the end of the day work is work even if you love what you're doing and there's still a lot more to life than just the company yeah so
1: words of wisdom from patrick austin and tim so <laughs> yeah so jumping back in year two it seems things started actually finally getting going as far as you looking at the consumer aspects
0: yeah, we started to get, I'd say, our big break. We got in the New York Times for an article in their food section called The Front Burner. And we got in there October last year. And I saw like my first sales bump. And that was like super exciting. I was like, wow, that's crazy.
1: Did you do anything to celebrate? Cause it sounds like, is this your first real excitement of like positive growth in the company?
0: It is right. So, like, up to this point, it was like one month we would do X amount, the next month we would do 33% of that amount. And I was like, this just doesn't make any sense, you know? So, that was our first big bump. And then that kind of carried through to the Christmas season. And that's a really busy time of year for us with people doing mail order gifts and things like that. So, I did not do a great job of preparing. And we probably missed out on a pretty significant amount of month or significant amount of revenue in November, December because we just weren't prepared inventory wise, just because I was working so deep. In inside the business instead of working on the business. That was definitely a learning lesson because I think it was two weeks before Christmas there, they did like a holiday gift guide on the Today Show and they put one of our filet packages on there and I had no idea what to expect, right? I didn't know if I needed to have twice the amount of inventory or three times. I would never had anything like this. I was like, I don't watch daytime television. Does anybody watch daytime television anymore? So I didn't want to also stretch myself so thin that I had way too much inventory after this thing happened. Turns out a lot of people still watch the Today Show and we were supposed to be on in the nine to 10 o'clock hour. 9.55 rolls around. Nothing's happened. I'm like starting to sweat bullets here because we bumped up our inventory by like 60% so we get a phone call at nine fifty-five, and I'm sitting there on my computer with like the map pulled up of where people are on the website and there's like four people on our website and I'm like really starting to sweat and this lady's like hey I just saw your fillets on today's show can I order them over the phone And so I hit the refresh button on the website and we went from like four people to like 4,000 people. And I was like, holy crap. That was super cool, man. And those stories are always fun to tell because those are the ones that get people to do entrepreneurship. But I always like to talk about the bad stuff along with the good because there's definitely a lot of low points when you start a company. So...
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we heard it all over your first year. When you have to go get another loan just to keep the company going, that's extra stressful, right? So it sounds like that was one of your first positive things. And do you want to walk us through the rest of the year and how you got to where you are today?
0: Yeah. So the part that sucks about having a really busy Christmas season that most people that sell B2C can relate to is you go into January, February, and March, which for our business is extremely slow. So coming into 2019, it was probably good that that happened because I had a chance to sit down with my advisors and the couple guys that worked out for me and just be like, what are our goals this year? What do we want to accomplish? Where do we see ourselves one year from now, three years from now, 10 years from now? And that's the part that I think is really important because you got to keep dreaming along this route or else you get so drawn down by the the negativity. For example, we did 48,000 in sales in December and we did 6,000 in January. So that part's really stressful, but I also knew that was coming because that same pattern played out on a smaller scale the year before. So a chance to sit down and be like, hey, how do we blow this year out of the water? And bringing the PR firm back on because we just couldn't afford them for the first couple months of this year. When you're doing $6,000 in sales, paying the money that we did for our PR firm was just not in the question. So that's sales. So that's not profit, right? That is not sales. So Not profit. Yeah, exactly. Not profit. Excuse me. Yeah, good. Coming into this year, come March, people start barbecuing again. They start going outdoors, especially, you know, in the warmer states, not necessarily here in the Midwest when we still had snow on the ground until April. But sales start to pick up about March this year. We were on the path to meet our sales goal. And then this whole hot dog epidemic happened in August 1st. And we almost hit our sales goal for the year in 24 hours. So pretty astronomical. What'd you do to celebrate after that happened? It was a Thursday, right? And it was like 4.30, the article came out by... Six thirty that night, my wife and I were sitting at like the kitchen dinner after we put the kid to bed and we were just like, Holy crap, this is bigger than the today's show and this is gonna put us on the map. So we cracked a bottle of wine and we got to work. I got on the emergency phone call with our processor, was like, we need, you know, before this, we were knocking out like two hundred pounds of hot dogs a month. It was not one of our best sellers. And then fast forward three weeks later, and now we're knocking out two thousand pounds. So pretty astronomical growth overnight. You know, now it's just trying to figure out okay, now that we got the demand for our product, how do we make sure? that we're continuing to deliver a quality product on the same scale that we were that was a thousand times smaller. And then on top of that, making sure that we're continuing to take care of our customers.
1: And so have you been, I guess it was mainly the hot dogs you were saying that, and then obviously it seems like everyone bought everything else on your website, but the hot dogs drove it. So you got on the phone and you're able to even get some more inventory, even though you didn't really have it at the time.
0: Yeah, so I started calling the processor. I started calling guys that I work with that raise a quality product and was just like, I need everything you need that you got for the rest of the year. You know, we started making those phone calls immediately and I started to put together just a plan of action for how are we going to make this happen? Because, you know, my big thing was you hear about this happening. I think even was it your bottle breacher episode when he talks about when he was on Shark Tank?
1: Yeah, did he sell out? What you're saying?
0: Yeah, and he sold out or even let back orders go. And that was my big thing was like, do I let these back orders keep going? Right in the middle of all this, we put up a banner on the website and it was just like six to seven weeks for all back order products and it kept going. It kept going for 24 hours straight. Now we just got to deliver on that. And after we kind of get through this crisis here, we've definitely, some of the smaller problems we had in our supply chain became really big problems when we scaled essentially a thousand percent overnight. And so now it's how do we deliver on the supply chain side, which is not one of my fortes, but I'm bringing in people that are smarter than me to help me figure that out.
1: So had you listened to that episode before this thing actually happened?
0: I listened to that episode probably about mid July. That, that was the first one I listened to. So it was that same week that you and I talked.
1: Right. So you remembered from that interview actually what he ended up doing?
0: Well, I think he ended up either turning off his website. But you know that that was the thing is like for he can create those units and be able to source that stuff to make the amount of units he needs to get them out the door in probably a couple of weeks. Versus us, it's like, even if we start getting carcasses in to hang, we dry age everything that we do. So it's got to hang for a minimum of three weeks. And so those first couple of weeks, really trying to figure that out. And then on top of that, we had box problems. We had cooler problems. It was the hottest time and it was the hottest week we'd had across the United States. We also had to worry about our UPS rates and FedEx rates and That was a huge problem is basically we were on such a smaller scale at that point that our rates did not reflect what we needed to be able to do. This is probably actually a really good problem to get into and kind of dive into on this episode is our entire pricing structure on the website was based off our average order value of what customers bought, right? Like our entire shipping policy. And all of a sudden we had this article come out about our hot dogs. And we specifically set our website up to encourage people to do a bigger order less frequently because our shipping costs are so astronomical. Well, all of a sudden I'm having people pay $37.99 for a single package of hot dogs, right? And we are still absorbing some of that shipping cost, but that shipping cost that we're absorbing is based on people doing a little higher order value. Well, that wasn't a big deal because nobody would ever do that. We would maybe get one or two orders a week that were a hundred dollars or less. And all of a sudden I had you know, 600 orders for a single package of hot dogs. And I was like, oh crap, we're going to lose our butts on this if we don't get better UPS rates. And at this point, I couldn't even get anybody from FedEx to call me back just because we were a small player. And we started to hit that really hard that following Monday. I mean, I was putting out phone calls to everybody to figure out how we could lower our rates substantially. We've definitely accomplished that since then. Yeah. How were you able to accomplish that? It's crazy, right? As a small business owner and anybody that runs an e-commerce business is going to be able to relate to this, but you got a duopoly. You have UPS and FedEx to choose from when it comes to shipping. And when we were doing 60 to 100 packages a week, we were definitely not considered a big player for those guys. Like they really can, I mean, I'm not going to say they don't care. Their customer service is actually pretty phenomenal to deal with, but the rates were just, I mean, they were killing us. It was making up like 40% of our cost of goods. And this happened. I finally had a little bit of leverage to go back to FedEx and finally get a hold of a substantial account manager and be like, Like, hey, here's what I'm predicting we're about to spend in the next four months in shipping. And here's what I'm predicting for 2020. They dang near cut UPS's rates in half.
1: Okay. Because what you were saying is basically it was costing you $37.99 just to ship a pack of hot dogs. But you were taking a substantial cut on that because you thought people are going to buy more stuff and it's only going to happen a couple of times. But if everyone comes on the website, I don't know how much were you actually charging them, even though it might almost cost you 40 bucks with shipping.
0: So thirty seven ninety nine is their total all-in cost for the package of hot dogs and shipping. So it was twelve ninety nine for the pack of hot dogs and it's twenty five dollars for shipping, which we got a ton of negative pushback from the customers being like, "What the heck is wrong with your shipping cost?" But I'm like, "Hey, we're not a hot dog company. We're a steak company. We offer free shipping over two hundred dollars." And we got a ton of pushback from that, but we still had a ton of people that still did it, which I was blown away by. And so that $25, that's accounting for our shipping costs, our dry ice, our gel packs, our cooler, our labor to be able to make that box. Well, you know, we're still absorbing roughly $3 of that cost on our side, which is not a big deal when you're doing a $100 order of product. But when you're doing a (laughs) $12.99... order a product, that's a big deal. So that was when I was kind of in panic mode about like, how do we do this and not lose our rear ends? And so overall, you're able to basically cut it in half your shipping costs? It's still in the works. So I don't want to say that
1: yet because I'm- Right. Jinx yourself. Yeah, no, I'm feeling yeah, But you're still working on it. Basically, anyone who's dealing with something like this, you got to have the leverage of having a huge quantity to finally get over the hurdle.
0: You're exactly right. So economies of scale is a big thing. So I started to hit that tenfold. And I also started to hit our distributor for our packaging and things like that, just trying to cut costs wherever possible.
1: I appreciate you walking us through the story and I'm impressed that we we're able to fill up this whole time. And it seems like we still haven't even gotten a full story of you over like the last two years of you growing your company, but I think a lot of interesting information as far as anyone who's starting up a company like yours in e-commerce and having to deal with this, as far as even the shipping aspect at the end, what you're talking about and being able to get those costs down. So I just think there's so many, this is a ton of information, I think for anyone early on starting a company or even who's had one for several years who can understand your issues of like having to get to a certain quantity to to even make it more profitable for you. So definitely appreciate you sharing your story here. Again, this happened only several weeks ago, so you're still dealing with this. How about the hiring? How have you have been able to handle that? Because I know you said you've done some new hires. I know a lot of companies kind of have issues when you have to go hire a lot of new people. And again, versus just having two people and now you, I guess you're up to six.
0: We're pretty picky with the people we bring on. We hired one guy, quit the next day that you know, it's just part of it. You're not gonna win all of them. So,
1: And that's better, honestly, than stringing along and being a shitty worker.
0: And he is super honest. He just got a better job opportunity. Totally get that. I want to see what's best for these guys too. I would say bringing on or giving a preference to people that are veterans to come in for interviews is pretty awesome because I'm able to look at a resume or and be able to distinguish, hey, here's what they did in the military. And this will really balance well with this need that I have over here in the company. So the people that we brought on the last couple of weeks, obviously they're still pretty new, but I'm excited about them. They're hungry. They really believe in what we're trying to do. I think it'll be cool. And you know, my biggest thing is, is like the first thing I do once I hire them on, no matter what the position is, is get him out and start packing orders and sweeping floors and doing chores and things like that, because that's what I did the first year. And that's how you understand the whole process really well. And I think those overlaps that was one big thing the military taught me was to know the position and the guy to your left and right. And so we try to make sure that carries over to the guys that we're hiring right now, because you're going to be in a leadership position in six months, eight months, a year from now. But you need to know how to do the whole process so that you can coach the guys underneath you.
1: Are you running this from, yeah, where are you actually running this out of? I don't know if it was like originally from your house and you had the acreage that you rented or where's everyone coming to work
0: from at? Yeah. So the first thing I did when I leased that property was I did some, we had like a huge shop. It's like 10,000 square feet and I built a fulfillment center in there and that's worked up until now. We kind of busted the seams right now. So after we get caught up here, the next leap or hurdle is uh, starting a shop for a fulfillment center somewhere closer to the city. So we're out in Weston right now.
1: Well, yeah. Again, appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Any last words of wisdom for anyone who's listening and starting a business?
0: You know, I think it's just important to know that it's not all going to be easy. And I don't like telling people that just keep going because sometimes there are definitely things that are bad business ideas. So you got to be smart about that. But at the same time, you're going to have really bad days and don't just fold up shop because you're having a crappy day. Think through the situation and get past the fear and the anxiety and all those things and come up with action plans, right?
1: Right, yeah, and I think just like you, where you made a transition, right, or pivoted from what you were doing originally. Like you're still kind of the same business, but you pivoted just by making a small pivot, going straight to consumer versus restaurants. Seems like that's been a game changer for you. I mean, imagine if you're going still straight to restaurants, you might not even be open today.
0: Exactly, I kind of going into that. Just being able to listen to people that are smarter than you. Just know that you're not always going to have the right decision, so make sure you seek out a network of people that are good in the area that you're trying to succeed in.
1: And just being open-minded, you know, because if you're just hard-headed and you just, again, wanted to sell to restaurants, or if you're like, hey, you just wanted to sell your own cattle, then you'd be stuck in not where you are today. But being open-minded and in the ability to transition your business. So, again, that's kind of what helped you get over your hurdle and seems like what's been helping you a lot today. So, if someone wanted to look at your business and wanted to order some meats, where do they go?
0: CaseyCattleCompany.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Casey Company. Cool.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Patrick, for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah. You said where they can follow you is it best for them. If they want to reach out and say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: So reach out to uh, contact us at kccattlecompany.com. That's the email address. And I do check a lot of those personally.
1: Well, thanks again for coming on, Patrick.
0: No problem, Austin. It was a good time to talk to you, man. So that I already—that was the original product that I sold on my YouTube channel, or that that I sh- that I used on myself.
1: Do you not want to tell us about this at all?
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Austin. I don't. I don't think this interview is.
1: Like, I don't understand that. It's like something. Either you're distracted, or something's going on. I, I... Because I mean, all I'm asking is about. Like most people are excited about talking about the product that they finally made, and it sounds like you're not excited about it at all. I. I just feel like. I'm not. So if you want access to this awkward interview and other exclusive interviews that we haven't published on our main feed, well, join our Patreon where you can get exclusive interviews that we already have ready for you. Just go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon or check your episode notes below on how you can help us keep bringing you this awesome show.